Welcome back to another episode of the Hershey Miller Show. It's been a fun week since last time I talked to y'all. Got a lot of work done. Uh, and stories down the road, I'll tell everybody that watches. But, I want to thank everybody that tuned in to watch me and Evan's show this weekend. It's always a joy to see people that do click on the video and watch it because, you know, when your view counts... Sorry, man. I'm not trying to scratch myself to death right now, but allergy season is freaking killing me right now. Like I was saying, though, when you're a small-time YouTuber, five views is something great. Now, hopefully one day that's not the peak of what we get to, but baby steps. As always, I want to thank everybody that tunes into this video. I ask that if you like the content, that you please consider liking and sharing and helping spread the message about what the patriotic populist, and by extension me, is trying to share. Um, I'm a lot smoke up real quick. If this, this thing I want to tell you, because I really hate smoking, I really do. Um, I'm going to get to some actual content here in a minute, but shit. This is my show. I can do it if I can want. Um, what good about it? I've been smoking since I was 14. This is my warning to anybody that doesn't smoke. I've been smoking since I was 14. Uh, I don't function without these now. It's the only way I get through work. Uh, I don't smoke as much as I used to. Especially since I switched to smoking these camels because camels are rough. And I'm not talking about the girly camels, you know, the ones with the little crushed menthol pack in it. I mean, real camels. I'm talking about the wides. Um, these are rough. I can usually smoke four or five of them a day at most. Any more than that, I'll get sick. I have smoked a whole pack of Marlboro sitting there talking to somebody without realizing it. That's my wife leaving in the background of my truck, if anybody's wondering. Um... Both of my parents smoked. I should have known better, but I didn't. I started smoking because it was cool. It's a hard habit to break. Um, so, my warning to you is this. Find a better habit. This is probably going to kill me one day. I've quit a few times. Uh, the longest I'd ever went without quitting, I was in the run-up to joining the Army. Okay, I'll give you all the story on this. When I was, I've, I've tried to join the army a few times, or at least the military. Um, in 2018, I decided I'm joining the army. I'm getting out of this town. I'm getting out of, away from the problems. I'm going to build a future for myself. And I was pretty heavy at the time. I was even heavier than I am now. And I'm coming in at a crisp 240 at the moment. Um, so I work my ass off. I get all the way down to 205 pounds. This takes months. This is not a fast process. So my goal, this would have been April when I started this process. And by October is when I went to MEPS. Now, if you don't know, for those in the audience who haven't joined the military or attempted, MEPS is where you go to do your medical exam before you join the military. Um, so I'd already got my package or my packet, what I was going to do. I was going to be a calf scout. Uh, it's, I'm not going to go into that, but if you ever see somebody walking around a military base with a pair of Stetsons, 
or with a Stetson hat and a pair of spurs. Odds are they're either a Cav Scout or something involved in the U.S. Army Cavalry. Uh, I had my job. I had a career path. They were going to put me in what was called the Green to Gold program, or at least that's what we were talking about. We are basically enlisted men, get out, go to college, come back in as an officer, or at least attempt to become one. You still got to go through OCS just like everybody else. It's basically delayed ROTC. Um, so I had that going on. I was really, really intent on joining the military. Um, and I quit smoking. I told myself, look, you're too fat to be smoking. You got to lose weight. Now, if you pick up smoking again later, that's your own problem. But right now, you need to lose weight. You need to lose it fast. And you got to be able to run to breathe. And you got to be able to breathe to run to lose weight. So I went about four months. I hadn't completely quit smoking. But I got to where I might smoke one or two a week going and visiting somebody. Everything's good. I get on the bus to go to MAPS. They get I get there on a Sunday night. I believe, no, I take that back. I got there on a Friday uh, or a Thursday night. We went to MAPS Friday, the actual facility in Little Rock. Done my height, my weight. I passed all my physicals that I had. Then I found out I was deaf. They put me in the hearing booth. I... Um, they got a little set of headphones they put on you. And on these headphones, they there's a series of tones that they give you. It's uh, it'll, it'll beep three times and then quit for a second. Then beep three times in a different tone. And it goes back and forth between each year. And they're testing not only severity of hearing loss, but at which frequencies it's the worst. Um, so they give me it once and I fail. I wait around a couple hours, give me another one. Fail that again. Uh... Sit around all day, get on the bus, go back home. I go back, let's see, I get back Friday. Uh, my, recruit, my recruiter told, tells me, I want you to go home, buy an ear cleaning kit, uh, clean your ears out as good as you can, put earplugs in, wear them all weekend. You're going to leave back out Sunday night to go to MAPS Monday morning. Um, and they put me up in a nice hotel. I think it was the Four Square Hotel in uh, Little Rock. Very nice place. I was really appreciative of the accommodations. Um, so we get there. I go in that booth that next morning. Still deaf. Um, I had 40% at 4,000 hertz. 30% I would have been in the military. It is what it is. But the moment that they told me that it was over... The wind, I lost the wind in my sails. I just, all that motivation and drive and, and wanting to go forward just left. I just didn't have it anymore. Uh, on the way home, I passed a tobacco store and I was like, fuck it. Went in and bought a carton of Marlboro Reds and stayed with it. So, that's a long way of saying stop smoking. Don't smoke. It's not good for you. Don't end up like me. On to the main event today. I'm going to pick up the story I left off last week. So last week, when we left this story, I had just quit my job, I was trying to join the union, and I didn't have no money, couldn't apply for unemployment benefits. Corona hit my area just like it hit everywhere else. Unemployment was, you know, ran up real high all of a sudden, there really wasn't any jobs, there was no road work for me to go get on. It was a bad time. You know, I know a lot of people kind of forget about rural America, but, like, we got hit in the fucking mouth, too, just like you did, and, you know, if you live in the city, I would say. And 
we, uh, my family, me and my wife, we struggled through it for months and months because my interviews, I think would have been about, I think June is when we done it, which originally they were supposed to be in May, but Corona pushed everything back. So part of the union apprenticeship, part of the process of admittance is taking an aptitude test where you have, basically they you have to score you have to get a certain score to be admitted um, to just get an interview. This is not pass this test you're in. This is pass your test and you have a better a, a chance of getting in. And a huge part of our tests and a huge part of our job is electrician. Now I am not an electrician. I would like that to make make that clear to anybody that watches this video, especially another brother or sister in the union. I am not an electrician. I am an electrician's apprentice. I am still learning this trade. I've got four and a half years left before I get to carry my journeyman's card if everything goes good. You have to take this aptitude test, and it freaked me out. A huge part of it is math, and math especially algebra, because I was always good at geometry, but algebra was not something that I could really do well in high school. Um, so I'm freaking out, just freaking out every day because I'm thinking, like, I bet my entire future, near future anyway, on this, you know, joining the union and being an electrician. Um, but Miss Nancy is helpful. She always is, always offered a word of encouragement. And I started uh, studying any, basically any link I could find to help refresh myself on algebra. And I, and I felt when I went to take my test, it wasn't as extensive as an ACT, but it was a very extensive test. I, well, I think at least 100 questions, and the vast majority of them being math. I was a little freaked out at the time. And what's even worse, when you take the test, you don't know that you passed it. The scores go, uh, the, the Miss Nancy in this case, the, or, uh, the person that runs the apprenticeship, she had my score. I don't think I ever found out what my score was. I, I knew I passed because a week later she calls me and tells me that I'm going to get an interview. Now, I believe if memory serves, the apprenticeship class that we ended up with was seven people. And I know for a fact that well over 100 people applied for this job, or this spot. So the interview process, I don't know how many made it through the test, but there was quite a few people that got interviewed. Now, I'm a nobody. My family's not electricians. Uh, there's no lineage in the union, and I hate to say it, but that is something in this line of work. So I'll say that my I was not optimistic about me getting in. But I told myself, I said, look, you're about to go in front of five guys to do this interview that know when somebody's full of shit. That's just plain and simple. People have been in this trade long enough. You just know who is and who ain't. So I told myself, I said, look, if you go in there full of crap or trying to go on long-winded tangents, and I know I'm bad about that, so it's really trying to affect me, then you'll, you, you won't find yourself working there. So I said, look, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to tell them exactly who I am, exactly what I know how to do, and give my best case about why I should join them. And I prepared myself about 20 questions for the people giving the interview. Now, I don't, I didn't know at the time that the interview was only like 20 minutes, so I didn't get to ask most of these questions. But when I went in there, you know, they asked me 
what I was good at, who I was, um, basically why I was interested in joining. And I told him, I said, look, I want a better life for me. I've got goals and aspirations in mind, and this is the best way I know to do it. Uh, and, you know, and I asked them stuff. I asked, like, you know, why should I join this union? What do you think the biggest problems facing the union is? What do you think the biggest issues, what do you think that could be realistically overcome? And what do you think is going to hold us back? You know, questions like this, really trying to make them think about their own positions. Now, again, I didn't know who got selected. Um, for, I think, a week. It might have been two weeks. So I had to wait again. And, and again, all of this time, I am still unemployed. I still have no income. And the money I'm living on is what savings I had before the pandemic started. So, oh, and I just bought a house. So it's really not good at the moment. But about two weeks later, I get a phone call from Miss Nancy. And she tells me, that I had been admitted into the JATC, which is the uh, apprenticeship for all intents and purposes. Um, so that was good. But at minimum, so this would have been late June, early July. At minimum, it would have been December by the time I got working. And I ain't got six months to give. So that kind of stayed in the background for the next couple months in the meantime struggling to find work in about august i get a phone call from a good friend of mine and he tells me that he has an opportunity for me there is a, a slaughterhouse that was opening up in southeast oklahoma at durant and he was going to offer me a position basically managing the the, the slaughterhouse and it was a lucrative gig if I had taken that gig, I would be doing all right for myself now. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that would have went. I was pretty rough and out of, out of practice. It had been years since I'd done it. But I think I could have. You know, if you'd given me a month, I'd have been right back into it. The problem is, I would have had to have moved. And that's not a job that you can just take and get back up. This is a guy asking me to be a manager. It was him and a, a business partner. So I tell him, I was like, look. I will come down there, I will look the place over, I will talk to you about it, and I will give the bet I will give it a consideration about what I'm gonna do. And I go down there. And the place is a wonderful place. It's really it was a great opportunity. Whoever ended up with that, who the job they were offering me, ended up in a great spot with good backers. I sat on that for a week and he told me about what the details of the contract. I'm not going to go into them because I don't really know the legal situation of that, but just understand that it would have been a great job for Southeast Oklahoma. And sorry, my nose is itching for some reason. No, I'm not doing drugs, kids. My nose just itches. Southeast Oklahoma in the spring. Allergies are wonderful. But I went down there. He laid it out. It was a great job for Southeast Oklahoma. And I thought about it for three days. That's why I told him I said I would make a decision in three days. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I beat myself to death one way or the other because I had been accepted into the apprenticeship. But I wasn't working yet. I could have just said no and bounced out of the apprentice. They had a laundry list of guys waiting behind me to fill my spot, so it's not like I would have been hurting them. At the same time, I could have told the other dude no because... I mean, yes, I was definitely one of the guys they offered the job to. I don't know how many else they did. But for me, 
I wasn't as concerned with them. I mean, at the end of the day, it's another dude's business, and he can find somebody else. It's not like I'm the most qualified butcher in the state of Oklahoma. What it come down to was I had to talk, tell myself in one of them wonderful 2 a.m. conversations that I had a goal in mind, and I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a part of a union. I wanted to be a part of a brotherhood. I wanted to do something that not only the financial side of it, which is a very stable career path, but also the the brotherhood side of it, I would say. So I made the decision, and I called my friend, and I told him, I was like, look, man, I appreciate the offer very much. I, I with, all, with all of me, I genuinely want to thank you for what you've done for me. But I can't take the job. I'm going to continue with my apprenticeship, and I'm going to see where that takes me. And I'm not sure if I'm going to continue this story. I might, I might not. Dad? But hold on one moment. Sorry for that. My son had a question he had to ask me. So, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue that story, but if I do, I want you to know that at this point I have made the decision that I'm going to be a union man and that I'm going to make a life out of that. Okay, I'm not going to keep this episode real serious. I've had a really hard day at work today. It's been a really hard week. We've laid several thousand feet at this point of four inch underground conduit for a big job at work and it's it's taken a lot out of me it's part of it i'm not complaining i'm working when a lot of other people aren't so don't ask me i'm not going to sit here and whine and cry about it but i don't really want to get that serious tonight i do want to clarify a couple of points that i feel like i didn't explain well last week number one when i was working that night shift job it started Working eight hours a night, 4.30 to 1, from Sunday night to Friday morning. What I worked out with my boss is, is that I would start working from 4.30 to 3.30, Sunday night through Thursday morning, and then be on call Friday. Um, which was a better situation, but not that much better. It still took a lot out of me. The other part, when I was saying that there's two classes of people in the Brotherhood, what I was meaning by that, it's not right. It's not great. But in the Union, one of the things I have noticed, and I know it's a lot worse the further north you get, people that went through the apprenticeships generally have more credentialed views, or at least people consider them to have... I'm not even going to say that. It's shitty. It's terrible. I don't like it. But a lot of people don't consider those that buy in part of the Brotherhood. Um they view the ones that went through the apprenticeship as that. Now, again, I'm not going to dive into the politics of the IBW or any other union, but I know that I'm not the only one that's seen that. It's crappy. I hate it. It's terrible. It is what it is. But I wanted to clarify kind of what I was meaning by that in case somebody ever seen that video and was really wondering what the fuck I'm talking about. So, topic of the week. The PRO Act. Now, I have not read the PRO Act start front to back. I'd want to when I get the time. But honest to God with you, I work a lot. I don't always have time to dive off into politics for what little free time I have. Because, you know, I have a wife and kids. I have to give them time, too. And on top of that, I have other personal relations. I'm not saying this to whine. I'm saying this to, look, I'm not going to be as informed as some people are at all times. Because the fact is, is they just got more fucking time to sit around and look at their phone than I do. 
but the PRO Act and what it would mean for us. If the PRO Act is passed, it will be the most significant legislation in U.S. history, even more so than FDR's bills, at really giving labor a leg up on the, the, the balance between labor and capital. Um, getting rid of right-to-work laws, and I really want to make this point clear, right-to-work laws are the worst thing in the long history of shitty things to happen to Southern workers that has ever happened post-slavery. just want to put that in there. And they have convinced generations of people that working for less money with less benefits and less job security is somehow more patriotic and more free. And this is not new. You know, the, 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 the captains of industry have done shit like this for years. I mean, it's not something that just happened yesterday. They just the same fight. Again, and I've said this before, we're fighting the same fight that our grandpas fought. But it's somehow become unpatriotic or un-American or that you've become a communist to ask for better wages or better salaries or more job security. And this is kind of a topic that I... Uh, you know what? Screw the PRO Act right now. This is what I'm going to talk about. The South has lost its way. Genuinely lost its way. My area, southeast Oklahoma, used to be a hotbed of populist Democrat movements or populist movements, and then some Democrat movements. I say, but like we are overwhelmingly FDR, and I would I know for a fact that up until Reagan, we was majority Democrat, and even after Reagan, up until Trump, the majority of voters were registered Democrats that voted Republican in some elections. We were a very labor-oriented place because our people that came before me. They dealt with the shit. They dealt with the, the mine bosses and the carpetbaggers and the, the these these handful of individuals that you know that controlled so much wealth and power in the area that they could do whatever they want. I mean, for God's sake, the next town over from me, Milton, Oklahoma, was started as a socialist experiment. I'm not advocating for socialism. I'm saying that that it has been told today, like Reagan was the first patriotic dude, that people like me that view the that see the value of labor the people like me that see the value in unions and see the value in social help when it's needed are somehow unpatriotic that we're somehow less than our you know southern brethren that you know vote for trump or vote for no i'm as patriotic as they get i love my country i genuinely do i love it enough to critique it and this is the way i say it it's like this i love my kids my son's a great kid very smart. Way smarter than I ever had any hope of being. And he's five or six. But I'm not all... But when he does something, something that's wrong, it's my job to step in and correct the, whatever's going on. If he's wrong about something, I'm supposed to tell him the right answer to it. If he's doing something wrong, I'm supposed to stop him from doing that. But that doesn't mean I don't love my son. And me sitting here saying that the United States is broken on so many levels and that the South has lost its way, has lost its identity, and now worships a Yankee carpetbagger that never done a fucking thing in his life, that I'm somehow unpatriotic, that I'm somehow not as... I don't love my country as much as some flag-waving lunatic. No. Patriotism is more than putting a flag on the back of your truck and thanking your troops that have been sent over to die for fucking billionaires in their oil wars halfway around the world. Patriotism 
is more than standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. Patriotism is looking around your country and asking, what can I do to fix this damn place? What can I do? This is the problem that I have. And that and I blame Rush fucking Limbaugh and I blame Ronald Reagan more than anybody. Is they wrap this idea of selfish corporate greed into the American identity so thoroughly well that they have convinced generations of people that ha- would have otherwise supported the labor movement and supported the social programs that were put in place by one of the most popular presidents to ever live that their way is the American way. And now they wonder why their schools are underfunded. It ain't the goddamn Democrats. As much as I hate the Democrats, it's not them that's trying to defund the, you know, the public schools in my area. Do you know what happened if my hometown school would shut down? The town would disappear. And you, I hear the Republicans in the background say, well, public education is stupid. Public education is not the right thing. We don't need the support. We spend too much money. No. We spend way too much money on administrative costs. We spend way too much money on throwing money away at weird programs or like the standardized testing that rakes in ungodly amounts of money for what they provide or textbooks that are way overpriced. Yes, we do spend too much money on that, but you know what we don't spend too much money for in Oklahoma and so many other places in the South? And that's teacher salary, benefits, and actual money that gets down to the kids themselves. By God, my kids, if they went to high school right now in Bacosi, Oklahoma, they would be using books that predate me. I have a book in high school that my mom signed when she was in high school. Now, don't tell me we're spending too much damn money. You know what the problem is in Oklahoma with its schools? The problem in Oklahoma is the same goddamn problem that's been around in every other state run by Republicans, is that all the money and all the power is concentrated on the rich son of a bitches that live up in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, or like in Louisiana's case, live around Baton Rouge in Louisiana, or in, in, in uh, uh, New Orleans, or in Texas that's concentrated around Dallas and Houston. What I'm saying is, is that the wealth and the power that should be going, or the wealth anyway, that should be getting pushed down into our education because, by God, we're one of the last country, or con- last states in the country in education. But everybody looks around, and every time somebody talks about raising the corporate taxes on a bunch of oil companies, like, oh no, the oil companies might move away. Well, by God, they're already gone. Where the hell has this oil industry been in Oklahoma? Every goddamn bit of oil just about is drilled out of Texas right now. Everybody I know is working in Texas or working around Texas, maybe in extreme western Oklahoma. But the point is, is that these oil companies used us for everything it was worth and moved on. Because to you, or to, to them, me and you, we ain't nothing. We're just a bunch of hillbillies, too dumb to know what they're doing. Every time our state legislature passes another tax break that favors them, they take money out of your kid's mouth at the school. And they do the same goddamn thing in Tennessee, Louisiana, Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, all over the South where these Republicans dominate the state legislators. There is a reason that Democrat states score higher than Republican states on education. Now, this ain't me. Now, don't you ever get putting words in my mouth of me saying that Republican states are dumber the Democrat states, because I am living fucking proof that Republican states ain't always dumber than Democrat states or the people there. What I am saying is this, is that the Republican states have been so underfunded and strangled on their public education that it has left generations of people unable to perform in the world that we live in today.
How can you ask a kid from Bacosi, Oklahoma that has got textbooks 30 years old that does not have rich parents to bail them out to go to college, to a real college? Now, again, and I ain't got nothing against two-year degree schools because I went to a school that had two-year degrees, even though I didn't finish. What I'm saying is that these places that have underfunded their schools for generations are standing around wondering why none of their kids go to college. So this is why I cannot stand this way that Reagan has been so wrapped into the American ideal that it has poisoned the mind of so many people. We dealt with it so long ago and we forgot about it. The generation, the baby boomers and beyond, they grew up in this prosperous land of wealth and abundance like we'd never seen before where jobs are plenty and houses were cheap and cars were accessible to most people. But we don't live that life no more. We ain't lived that life in generation now, or at least a generation. When the crack epidemic and the meth epidemic swept through the South and the Southeast like it has right now, we didn't have nobody there to help us. We ain't no different than the inner cities on that. What I'm saying is this, is the American ideal is more than selfish dickery that the Republican Party has preached. Our grandpas fought for something bigger than themselves. They didn't fight for Jeff Foxworthy and his dumbass hillbilly stick. They didn't fight so that we could become a caricature of ourselves. No, they fought so that their kids wouldn't have to grow up under the thumb of the damn carpetbaggers that put them there in the first place. You know, and that's the thing that bothers me so bad now is that when our grandpas were fighting against that wealth and that power that they had, that they had all this, you know, the, like the mines and how the mines used to operate. You know, to, to a Republican today, that would be just good business, that they managed to con you know get all these workers working on company script. And again, when I say grandpas, I'm not literally meaning a, you know two generations back. I'm meaning the people that came before us. Because, honest to God, by the time that my grandpa was around, from what I understand, it was a lot better. But he didn't live through the Blair Mountain years. He wasn't a miner then. Just understand that I'm meaning the people, them guys. You know, the guys around 1900 and 1920, what they dealt with, what they fought for. But even beyond that, FDR didn't sweep the South because he was, you know... FDR offered policies to these poor Southerners that he would build their schools, that he would build roads. Do you know, in 2021, I do not have a reliable way to get high-speed internet where I'm at. And if it wasn't for my son's homeschool network, I wouldn't have any internet. Because there's no infrastructure in most of southeast Oklahoma to support high-speed internet. Now, again, I know that some dumb you know, libertarian is going to be like, well, that's just a market function. You shouldn't be whining. You're a first-world country. You don't have nothing to whine about. Shut up. Now listen here. The majority of our lives today depends on having a reliable internet access, whether I like it or not, because trust me, if I could rewind the clock 40 years, I would, and I would not deal with half the shit we're dealing with today. But we live in a time where internet is very important. Now where are the calls up in Washington to expand high-speed internet? Now one of the damn, one of the things, and I'm going to give Trump credit for this, Trump put in a or put a bunch of money towards developing high-speed internet across most of the south or the, the rural areas. And that was great on him. I have not a bad word to say about that. But he was pretty alone in that. 
Where you know Joe Biden supposed to be a man of the people? Where's the calls from him? Where are the calls from the National Democrats? Well, there are none, and the reason there are none because they don't care about me or you or anybody else probably listening to this video. Unless you were born to money in this country, ain't nobody give a shit about you. And that's what bothers me. Is that you got these people, these these Trump voters, and again. I ain't going to sit here and call Trump voters dumb. And if you ever think I'm saying that, please understand that I'm not. I've, I've never, not for one second of my life, thought that Trump voters were dumb. Yeah, I thought they bought the, the hook, line, and sinker to a New York you know, billionaire that lied his way through most of his life and cheated and done all kinds of horrible shit. Yeah, I thought that they couldn't see through it because they were so desperate, though. I never thought that Trump voters just woke up one day and shoved their head up their ass. No, I thought that these are desperate people living in desperate conditions looking for somebody to reach down and save them. And that's the whole point of the show. Is that I'm trying to raise the warning bell that if we don't fix something in this country, there will be another Trump and another Trump and another one after that until one of them finally kills us all. Because that's what a desperate, that's where they thrive. That's where dictators come up from. Is they come up from the poor and the suffering and the downtrodden. The people that don't have anything to lose anymore. And I don't think we're there yet. But we're not far. This is what I would warn the Democrats on. Trump kicked you in the head. His popularity got stronger during his presidency. So don't think that you've done anything by electing Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not popular. He never will be. Because Joe Biden might as well be a rock. He, he doesn't do anything. He reads off a teleprompter and he goes back to the White House and hides and lets all of his underlings run business for him. He's not a leader. He's not what we need right now. And that's terrible because there's so many people. Andrew Yang, Bernie Sanders, uh, Richard Ojeda out in West Virginia. Guys like this. Uh, uh, who's the one? I, this woman I seen the other day. I really liked her and I'm trying to remember what she said or who she or what her name is. But I, I might put it in the link later. But what I'm trying to say is this, is there's all kinds of great populist leaders at the, that are coming up through the ranks right now. And the DNC willingly chose Joe Biden. And don't tell me that it wasn't their choice because Joe Biden was polling in way in the back up until all of a sudden, magically, all the candidates that were competing with Joe Biden dropped at the same time, even though they weren't behind. And all that shady shit that went down with the machines up in Iowa. What I'm saying is this. Tulsi Gabbard. That was the woman I was thinking of. Tulsi Gabbard's not perfect. Tulsi Gabbard's a person that I like, that I wouldn't hate being president. I might disagree with her on a lot of areas. But the point is, is that we have people like Tulsi, like Yang, like Sanders, like Ojeda, like uh, Ro Khanna, people like this that are coming up through the ranks, that are in politics currently and can't sniff the White House because the goddamn DNC will not let them in the door. It is a willing choice on the part of the DNC, on the part of the, the elite corporate backers that they have paying their bills to not let people that would actually change anything. And this is my why I do what I do. You know, there's a lot of days I want to quit. I genuinely do. Lots of days I want to quit. And the reason is, is because I look around and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? I'm a small fish in a big-ass ocean. But I look around and I say, you know what? Screw it. I, I might fail. I might lose. I might do whatever. But at least I got up in the morning and done something. 
And I, this ain't about me. This is just me talking about why I'm I'm on this show right now. I tell you what, the the South, and this is the thing about the South that I that holds out hope for me. If there was anywhere that something like this was going to start, it's in the South. Because you're talking about people that don't have anything. You're talking about people whose standards of living are near like third world at times. You know, in the, the, the black inner cities, or you're talking about in the, or the rural country, where the opioid epidemic is killing thousands of us. Well, let's see, last time I heard it was, uh, what was it, like 3,000 a week, 2,000 a week, something like that. You know, and a good chunk of them people come from the rural communities. They they come from the the inner cities. These are the people that you know are hooked on meth, hooked on you know pills, because you got people that don't have anything. They they have nothing. They have no hope, no future. They're they're in purgatory, trapped in this vicious cycle of drug abuse and alcoholism. You know, and and first of all. You know the, the 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 motherfucker that wrote hillbilly elegy. Like I, I would I would probably burn his house down. I genuinely would because first of all he was not a hillbilly, and second of all he made a caricature of the majority of people that don't have anything to give. He he punched a toddler in the face is what he did. He he punched something that has no capacity to hit back. It's easy to pick on poor people. It's easy to pick on hillbillies because we, well, what are we gonna do? You know. And, you know, every time we do something, they call in their buddies in the U.S. Army and come get us killed, or the cops or whoever else is doing it at the time. You know, I can tell you, I can, I can say here and list off all the times that, the, you know, big business and big donors have gotten in and called in, the, you know, the National Guard or the or federal troops or, or not federal troops, uh, federal officers like the FBI or the, uh, you know, people like that to snuff out any kind of, uh, of, of, resistance to the bullshit that they was peddling that day. And I pick on Republicans a lot. I do. Because I used to be one. I know I, I left. And I want other people to leave too. I'm not telling you to go be a Democrat because I didn't. You know, I might like Yang because well, Yang is just about as independent as you can get. He's got a lot of forward-thinking ideas. I like Gabbard because Gabbard has been out there beating the drums against the anti-war machine for years. You know, Sanders, yeah, I definitely disagree with him on a lot of issues. He's definitely a little too Soviet-friendly at times for my take, or well, most of the time. But at the same token, he's been out there fighting for unions and health care, and by God, I'll take an ally where I can get one. You know, Jetta, kicking ass in the West Virginia Republican District. These are Democrats that I do like. I'm not a Democrat, though. I never will be. Because to me, what I've seen with the Democrats is the same shit I've seen with the Republicans. They lie to poor people to get votes and then don't do whatever they said they were going to do. And it's stuff like that that will never not bother me. I can't willingly do that. Like, I, I really... I'm in a position right now where I really can't join a party because I'm, I want to be a neutral position. A, not Switzerland, but a place where other people can gather together to discuss, you know, to to be... Basically, it's like this. This is one of the programs that we offer at the Patriotic Populist. If you're an up-and-coming podcaster, and we haven't had a taker yet, but I think we've got a couple of guys that want to do it. If you're an up-and-coming podcaster, if you'll send me a link to your video, I'll put it on there. It, like, obviously, you have to agree with what talking about to a certain extent but 
you know, if you, for example, if you were a populist in the vicinity of where I am and you were trying to make a name for yourself or you're just trying to spread a message or you're trying to change something, that's what I really want to see, you know, I would, you, you, we're a big tent, basically. You send us a video, we'll post it on our YouTube channel or Spotify and all of our other outlets. The reason for that is because I'm trying to spread our message. And this is why. And this took a lot of, kind of a while to formulate what I was actually thinking here, but this is what happened. I looked around at the populist movements around this country and seen a bunch of tribal warfare is what it amounted to. Well, you had all these different flashes and flare-ups of populism in so many different shapes and colors and nationalities. You know, people from all across what we understand is the, the, the political spectrum, fighting basically the same fight, but with no united way of doing anything. I mean, obviously, you've got the guys like Kalinsky, you've got the guys like, uh, you know, the the uh, Rising, pretty popular show. Uh, you've got several, Endernax. Uh, you've got all these people. Internet is a little less popular than the verse two, but he's gaining momentum, he's gaining traction, that are so scattered, sporadic across the networks, that they can't gain any real movement traction. And that's what I've decided I'm going to fix. I'm, I might not have the the greatest ideas all the time. I know I'm going to write about everything, but what I do know is that when people unite and when people stick together, we get shit accomplished. That's the whole point of a union. Unions, and this is kind of how I'm thinking about it, if you can kind of visualize this with me. A union of populists, a union of populist podcasters, uh, bloggers, uh, people that hold rallies. That way, because when one of us succeeds, it brings all of us up together. But as long as we keep standing out there and fighting these individual battles against all these enemies, enemies that are well-funded and dug in, we'll never win. We'll never even scratch the paint. What we've got to do, and this is why I give a call to action at every video, is because one of these days I'm going to catch something, you know, the, the kid, the, the next Huey Long or the next FDR, somebody that will do something about this. And this is the thing. I have no really interest in being that guy. I mean, you know, if everything happened and I ended up that guy, that's different. But I don't. that's not why I do this. I just want things to be better. You know, I want my kids to grow up in a better economy than I grew up in, with a better housing market, with a better college, you know, the college system, with a better high school. That's what I want. And if I had that, I don't really care about everything else. But we got to start somewhere. We've got to start on the individual level, if nothing else making changes in our local communities, do, getting active, doing stuff on the part that, because look, we're not, there are certain figures. I'm talking about Kyle again. Kyle commands a serious audience and a serious amount of influence, but even he can't change this shit by himself because Kyle's one guy and I'm one guy and Internax is one guy and Crystal and Cigar, well, one woman and one guy, but these individual people cannot hope to change a system, but united in one mind and one accord and one common goal, we can accomplish anything because we've done it before.
one of the things that studying history will give you perspective on is how many times the same fights have been, same fights have been fought over again. And I'm I'm not delusional enough to think that this is going to be the final death nail in in you know the carpetbaggers. No, it's not. Like I, it's just dumb to think that. And, and this is my problem with socialists and communists. They're always on and on and on and on again. We just we can burn the system down and and tomorrow it will it, it'll be rainbows and sunshine for an eternity. No, it's not. It's it's genuinely not. Like I talked about it a little bit in the last episode about how political ideologies kind of exist as an undercurrent of society based off of a person's personality. Well, there's always going to be sociopaths that are willing to cut everybody's damn throat to the top. And them people, whether they they be a corporate CEO or a, a Politburo member, will come to power. And that's the thing is, is I don't give a shit if it's Jeff Bezos' boot on my throat or, or Joseph Stalin's. I don't. It's the same boot. So what we have to do is fight the fight that we've been given and hold it off for as long as we can. You know, yeah, the era of FDR ended with Reagan and it fun- functionally ended with Nixon. But that was still several decades of prosperity in this country. And there's no reason that we can't do it again. It's not going to be easy. It definitely won't be easy. But is anything that's good ever easy? No, this this is a fight that we take up not because we ha- want to, but because we have to. Because if somebody that has the ability doesn't stand up and fight, then it's going to stay the same. But I am hopeful because I know if there's guys like out there out there like me that that I know that there is guys out there like me. Maybe I don't know them. But there might be some hillbilly that, like you know that decided that he's not going to be like everybody else in his hometown. That he's not going to just continue on with the same crap that's destroyed our communities for generations. And that's what that 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 keeps me going is knowing that maybe the small part that I can play in all of this makes some difference in the end. And even if it doesn't, at least I've done something. You know, I didn't sit around and bitch about the place burning down. But I think that's about all I can push out in this show. And I do want to say this. I get worked up, just like everybody else does, about stuff that affects our country. But I do want to say this, is that the reason I get worked up out of a good place. Because I don't know how a person can look around at this world that we live in and just decide that it's not worth fighting for. It's not worth doing anything about. And yeah, I cuss more than I should and I yell more than I should at times. But I care about this stuff. And if you care. Do something. Contact me somehow. Contact the Patriotic Populace. Contact anybody else. Anybody that you know that has some ability to help and do something. Because it, you may find out you like it. You know, I didn't like it. You know, 
didn't want to do this really and I said that on last year I didn't want to record the last episode and you know part of me didn't want to record this one but I like thinking that I done something I didn't lay around the house today um and who knows you might be good at it I don't know what I'm going to talk about next week because I really didn't know what I was going to talk about tonight um but what I do know is this is that next week I definitely I don't know I definitely want to do something special or at least talk about something um but I do want to thank all the youth that tuned into this video because it does mean a lot to me uh please leave your thoughts down below in the comment section uh be sure to like share and subscribe if you enjoyed the content and like i said and i will always say this reach out get involved take action thank you and god bless